Welcome to Mother Hackers, where we hack the tech industry for women. I'm your host, Michaela Flateau, and this is Aniza Brown. And I am introducing Dr. Talinda Larson. Talinda Larson, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, absolutely. First of all, thank you for all the work you're doing. It's so important to elevate women in tech industry because we are far behind in our numbers and our percentages. And tech industry means everything from computers to flying an airplane to running a high technology piece of equipment. So thank you for all you're doing. I am currently the executive director of the Utah Advanced Materials and Advanced Manufacturing Initiative. And advanced materials are the new technology materials such as composites, polymers, and carbon fiber. And advanced manufacturing is, again, the new manufacturing techniques, the future of manufacturing, which is digital engineering, it's robotics, and it's 3D printing. Awesome. Awesome. And I understand that you are working with the with Weaver State on the Mars facility and building out capability there. Can you talk a little bit about that? We're so excited that we've been able to partner with the Miller Foundation to be able to fund the equipment to go into the building, which is known as the Mars Applied Research Solutions Building owned and operated by Weaver State University. And it is designed to be a true research entity here in our state, unmatched across the United States, to help support Hill Air Force's base and the particular program of the Nuclear Weapons Systems Program. Plus, now that we have our um, key people have moved down to, to these space center to be able to also support the space program with the technologies for new materials for high temperature and re-entry vehicles. I I remember the first time I met you and we were at, I believe we're at the Cattles building and then I gave you a ride over because we were going to go eat at the Union Grill with a big group of people. And the more I talked to you, in the car and then throughout dinner and learning more about you, I was incredibly impressed with your career journey and how you got to where you are. So can you be like, give us just a quick little overview? Because I just remember thinking to myself, this lady is so cool. Like she is doing the coolest things. So can you just give us a little overview of how you got to where you are? Well, thank you so much. That's such a compliment um, here. And it's never a straight path for anybody in their career, right? And uh, I often say, I'm old too, you know, I'm 68 years old, going strong, plan to continue working. Uh, one of your questions is, where will I be in the next 10 years? I hope I'm retired. I really am. Yeah. But so far, I have flunked retirement. I have not done a good job with retirement at all. So I started um, really, you know, in high school, I was a leader. I was the first Earth Day, which really dates me, but I organized on our high school campus and I organized a debate club and really led out in high school. And then when I went to college, I studied economics and political science and really fell in love with economics and the all the influences that affect our daily lives. I then went on to 
get a master's in economics. And at that same time, I started working at the U.S. Department of Transportation. One of my economics professors, which now that I look back, she was the head of the department way back when women were not heads of departments and in, in academic institutions. She was amazing. And she saw the light in me and put a good word forward and got me an amazing position at the age of 26 in the office of the Secretary of Transportation. And I met with the Secretary of Transportation on a regular basis. But you know, in your 20s, you're so arrogant. You know, you just think that's the way it is. And and I really had very few headwinds in my 20s because I was so unique and uh, very, very aggressive, very proactive, very uh, opinionated on on issues, particularly related, related to aviation. And then as I went into my 30s, I, I was married. I married the boy next door from high school and had children. And the 30s became more difficult because then you're trying to juggle the the business and, and home. And and back then, like you had to pretend you didn't have children. You know, you you didn't there they didn't exist, which I love seeing the world we're in today, where we could have a dog or a child walk right through our, our conversation and it's just viewed as acceptable. And I really truly believe it doesn't hold women back or men back to be able to be a family person. But then as I got into my 40s, I really started to hit headwinds because I was not going away. And I was really finding I was being overlooked for promotions. I had a lot of imposter syndrome, even though I by then I had my master's and I had the credentials. Um, but my 40s were really quite difficult to navigate as I was going through um, climbing the ladder that Became hitting my head on the glass ceiling. Um, by the time I got into my 50s, I decided, well, I'm going to see what I can do about this. And one thing I did is I went forward and got my um, my PhD, my, got my doctorate in economics. I always had wanted a terminal degree. By then, my kids were off in their college education, and I had time for myself to, to pursue the doctorate. And then I also sought out leadership positions in industry organizations, such as I was the president of the Aero Club of Washington, I was the president of the International Aviation Club of Washington, D.C. And, and those prestigious positions certainly helped to elevate and helped to overcome some of these obstacles. And now as I'm in my 60s, I realize that giving back and mentoring particularly women in tech. Uh, I mean, the changing point for me was Cheryl, Sarah, Cheryl Sanders' book. Because up until really the point that I read her book, I really felt just get your education, work hard, and you will progress. But she opened my eyes to some of it's on us women and some of it's on society and having to address the need that it's not enough just to have your education and, and all the experience you need. Mentors. You need partners that are really partners to help you get through all of the obstacles of balancing life. And actually, it shouldn't be balancing life and, and career. It, it is life. Life is your career and your family and, and integrating them. So that's, that's kind of what brought me. What brought me to Utah is interesting. Um, so my whole career, I've been in aviation. I 
at 27, 28 years old when I was in Alaska. I was the president of the Alaska Air Carriers Association. I got my pilot's license. One of the things I negotiated when I went up to Anchorage was part of my compensation package was to teach me to fly. So I learned to fly in Anchorage and flew all over the state. Um, so then I used my economics degree to look at the and assess the markets for different products and services, worked for several consulting firms. But um, I then was working for, uh, I've worked for three startups that we then taken public or sold. And the last one I worked for was a data company, a software data company. And it was one of the first to take the aviation data and move it into the cloud and then be able to do cloud-based research using the different verticals that, of the data. It was so exciting. It was so much fun. But the most exciting thing was we sold it in 2015 to a strategic partner for a ridiculous amount of money. We didn't even have profits, and they bought us for 15 times revenue. It was crazy. But that meant that in 2016, I had to figure out something else to do. And I had a friend of mine who said, well, you know, you should really think about drones, but think about what we call now uncrewed aerial vehicles. Um, as an economist, well, I got, I got pulled into becoming a drone pilot since I was already a pilot pilot, although that's not really fair. Drone pilots are pilots. <laughs> that's something we all run into. That's a discrimination. Anyway, so I started flying my drone. I started flying it commercially, uh, and I, it was, and I got involved with the national organization called the Women and Drones, and again, advocating women to and girls to learn how to fly drones and learn how to become a drone pilot and become a commercial drone pilot operator. And I also worked on some consulting projects, looking at the market using my economics degree uh, on on drones. And I, I'm pretty good at social media, particularly back then. And I was able to create this whole image so that when Utah was looking for somebody to come out here, and I was living in Maryland, come out and set up a new organization called Deseret UAS to be able to get economic benefit by getting drone companies to come here, test their products, and then hopefully settle and do the economic development. So uh, that's what brought me out here. And I was only going to do it two years because my husband and I were going to go back and get the sailboat that, uh, and sail out to the sunset and retire. That's, that was the plan in 2018. Well, that didn't work out. So um, it was really interesting. There's so many assets and benefits to drone operations in Utah. And that was a great opportunity that then uh, another opportunity presented to me in uh, 2020, which is the one I'm in now, which is advanced materials and advanced manufacturing. And that really brought me here full-time. So now I am completely full-time, a Utah resident, and really enjoying all that Utah has to offer in outdoor opportunities. And it's such a, a collaborative state in the way we all work together, and it's so small. Uh-huh. Well, I know that like in our industry, in the aerospace and defense industry, you have like really pushed forward additive manufacturing and 
advanced manufacturing. And then we've always like worked together because I think people always look at us and they say like, oh, you and Talinda must like not work together. It's like, of course we work together. Like I'm software side of the house, like we'll do hardware testing. And then we have the added manufacturing side. And I feel like we just go so well together. And when we those events, they become so much more powerful because of that. So I definitely, I appreciate our partnership and I appreciate everything you do to ensure that we're successful in Utah. And Utah, to me, has been such an amazing community and really embraced innovation and collaboration. And I think you were one of the first who moved down on that with me. So I appreciate you. (laughs) I mean, for innovation and with our amazing economic engine called Hill Air Force Base, all the opportunities that it presents. Unfortunately, of course, we continue to rank last in the nation as far as women's rights. And that has been a real challenge for me here, uh, coming, coming a new resident of this state, is to see there are opportunities for women, but we still are not able to meet the vast majority of women in our state. And that's why doing things like what you're doing allows the, and then also the Rosie Project, which is a fabulous project, to be able to get into those pockets of women that are being underemployed, underutilized, undervalued in our, in our society here, to be able to elevate them to be much more productive in the economics of the state. Agreed. And I know that we were talking, you've talked to Governor Cox, I've talked to Governor Cox. What do you think would be something pivotal to kind of change the paradigm of women in tech and women in the work and career, like building out their career? What do you think are the barriers right now and how could we remove those? Oh, two different questions. I mean, something that is pivotal, um, it's not a fast process. It's just a very slow process. And I commend Susan Madsen and her bold way forward, that is what we need to do. to do systems approach to elevate women in the state because it is um, pervasive, all of the issues that we're facing. Um, and the, But then the next question is the specific barriers to tech. Um, from the numbers I've seen, we, we pretty much are doing a good job at at the academic level of getting women to come in to the academic institutions and take engineering. We're even reaching the point of 50-50 in engineering programs. Where we fail is once they go on their internship and get into a company, it's the company cultures that we need to address. Um, And it's not just women, it's all diversity. Because the in my field, in manufacturing, it's probably a little bit better in software because it's more innovative and more flexible and not as um, trenched with ways of doing things as opposed to the manufacturing floors have been all men. And now being able to bring women in on and create a culture that keeps the women in the workplace. Now, I love the paradigm shift of having more women in those career fields. I think it's so important to enable women to identify what opportunities are out there and not what are always just presented to them. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like I was those little banshees who just like being an engineer, being a, a kid whose parents told her she could do anything she wanted to play football with the boys, whatever. And at the end of the day, I didn't think I had any limits. So that got me to where I am. But I can't imagine where I would have been if I would have known all the opportunities I had at the time. Absolutely. One of your questions, your pre-questions is, well, what did I want to be when I was a little girl? And That's where I was just about to ask, because this is like the perfect lead-in for it. I don't know. I don't remember. I was thinking I should really call my mom, who I'm really fortunate to have. She's 91 years old. And ask her, you know, what did I want to be when I was, I don't have a memory of what I wanted to be like in a career um, as a little girl. I certainly, I'll tell you right now, to your point, Anisa, had no idea that executive director of Utah Advanced Materials Advanced Manufacturing was an option, right? (laughs) I looked at, uh, I have five grandkids and my oldest is a little girl who's eight. And in her kindergarten class, they asked them what did they want to be. And it was just the careers they could see. Doctor, teacher, fireman. She wanted to be an artist. Um, so that's that's where a lot of the programs that I've been working on at part of UAMI is that we have a grant from the Department of Defense for women and girls programs. And we're targeting kindergarten uh, Girl Scouts and you know, middle school, high school, to really start at a young age introducing the opportunities yep. in arts and manufacturing. That it's it is a technical field, and it is a field that it has a lot of career potential that is not generally presented, and it's going really, really well. I um. I definitely think Utah has come a long way. Um, Anisa, definitely, you went, you did most of your schooling in Arizona, right? Um, so I was a military brat. And I remember I lived in New Mexico. I was a Girl Scout. And I did a lot of random stuff as a Girl Scout. I went to horse camp. I learned knot tying, sold cookies, obviously. Um learned about the library, learned about medical, learned about like, we not only did feminine things, but we did a large variety of things. And then when my dad got stationed at Hill, we moved to Utah and I obviously was like, okay, we're, we're continuing on Girl Scouts. And please keep in mind, this was a while ago. I was maybe <laughs> 10, 12, 10, 11, 12. Um, Girl Scouts was different here. Um, it was very much like cooking, sewing, um, that kind of stuff. And I wasn't really on board with it. And so I fell out of Girl Scouts. Um, and I found like a lot of my classmates were really deferring to nursing or dental assisting or being an esthetician and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with those career fields. But that was kind of like, as a woman, what you think that you're going to do are those things. And then I got stationed again. We went to Germany. School was very different there. We we were basically being like conditioned for college and conditioned for leadership roles and kind of being steered towards government service too, not necessarily military-wise, but also like as civilians or as contractors or whatever. And that is really what led me to where I am today. But I 
just reflecting back on my time in Utah as being a young teenager and kind of what I was being steered towards, it makes me so happy seeing, um, I know she tech had an event this week where they took a ton of high school girls and had all these different projects, like introducing drones and coding and all these different things. And it makes me so happy to see those changes being made because that is not the Utah that I remember, but now it's the Utah I'm seeing at this age. And like, I know that you also, Talenda, have a big, like, a big role in that as well and your interest in that as well. So I just want to say Utah has come a long way. We have more, we have more to go. We always will have room to grow and room to be better, but it has come, it has come a long way since I remember. Well, I am on the board of directors of the Girl Scouts of Utah. So I'm glad to hear. Yes. Feelings that way. And why did I accept, which is, turns out not an easy position took over a year of vetting before I was actually put on the board um, because I, I want to advocate for women at all levels, at all points. And part of our DOD grant is I'm working with a national DOD institute called America Makes, and we're implementing a Girl Scout badge program for additive manufacturing, which just got started this here in Utah. Uh, we ended up partnering Girl Scouts of Utah with Utah, uh, the STEM Action Center. Uh, part of it was because as we were trying to do it during COVID and places that Girl Scouts could meet, and it was just easy to use the STEM Action Center. And then I was able to get the STEM Action Center grants to buy 3D printers to set up the program. So now that, that's got lost, and it's a, an official additive manufacturing badge for Girl Scouts. That is amazing. That makes me so happy. Oh, I, I don't think that women understand how these career fields can actually be like good for you and good for family and actually like pretty flexible. I think we're getting better and better at making this not only like obviously software and tech, but like manufacturing as well better by providing these things. I think it's important to talk about it. I think a lot of times, like, you would go to school and you would hear, you need to be a nurse or you needed, th this is your track. Mm -hmm. And now there's a disruption where external entities or, like, UAMI, Cal's Campus, like, we have the ability, STEM Action Center, to go and talk to these young girls and young women and, and tell them, hey, you like science, you like math, like, there's still this path. You don't like them, there's still this path. Like, it doesn't have to be one track fits all. And I think by, like, seeing people like us going and having these conversations and talking about our experiences, we're driving more individuals that way. And they can see it. They can hear it. They can literally ask you a question and ask you to mentor them. And I think that's so important and pivotal in the way we're doing business going forward is we're changing the paradigm of how things were done and rewriting how they should be done. Absolutely. It's the old, if you can see it, you can be it. It's hard to be it if you can't see it. Exactly. There have been a lot of women in my career that I kind of, my, I feel like my career changes every year as I see like more and more women in positions that I'm like, wait a minute, I think I could do that. And I think I would be good at that. And I didn't realize that that was a thing, but now I kind of want to go there. 
And I think some of that was like, number one, meeting Anisa. And I was like, holy crap, she's incredible. And she's doing all these cool things. Like I, I'm starting to see my career path, you know, change and things that I'm more interested in. Um, we're interviewing a gal tomorrow. Her name's Hannah Hunt. And she's currently at the Army Software Factory. She was another one that I saw her career path. And I was like, that really interests me. And then also like talking to you at dinner a little bit. I was like, holy crap, look at this lady. She's super cool. She's doing all these things. Like, I definitely think for me, see, I had to see it. I had to see these women in these types of positions to believe that I could do that as well. Because in the beginning of my career, I did not aim to be here or what I'm aiming to be after here. You know, I, I just thought, okay, I'm here. I'm in a good career. Like, I'm just going to chug along until retirement. And I don't know. That's the plan. And now I'm like, there's so much further we could go with this. And there's so much good and so much impact. So thank you for being one of those people who you may not like just you existing and being who you are yeah, shows women like they can do it. And the, I think there's a level of badassery that comes along with, you know, talking at the Think Like a CEO event and telling your story. And so many women after that event were like, one, I know who Tamata is. Two, I know what it's like to feel that way and hearing somebody else is just so it's so relatable uh -huh. and it's like it's not just you situations happen all the time and it's how you deal with it and how you end up coming on top based off of how you dealt with it I I don't know I think I agree that dinner was like just skyrocketed you as to who you were to me <laughs> because I <laughs> I think I sat there I was like so to Linda tell me about yourself. And you're just like, bam, this amazing person and this amazing career and your advancement, the way you advance, the way you advance through adversity and made such a huge impact. I like to this day, will never forget that dinner. Wow. Thank you. Well, the most adversity I felt in my career, I also shared that night. And that was the, uh, EEOC, Equal Opportunity Commission, um, where I was part of a lawsuit against my previous employer because the guy who was heading up the office at the time was an honest-to-God pig. I mean, grammar and so just so awful. And it taught me that we don't have to stand for this. We can fight back. We really can use the system to fight back. And, and not be afraid to say it's not okay. And that's so much of the work that Susan Matson's doing. I love reading her pieces that she posts so regularly on the discriminatory language, the all the subtleties that go on that are holding holding women back. But that that was a major officer call that I had to navigate and was successful, which was quite an experience. I We have another question for you. I know we sent these questions to you and we haven't really asked any of them because we continue on all these amazing stories and viewpoints, but um, what what is going to have the biggest impact on your ability to execute your innovation journey over the next 10 years? Okay, that's a hard question though because you're wanting to be retired, but What's the legacy? What's, yeah, what's the legacy you're wanting to leave? Mm, okay, that's a good one. What's my legacy? 
Yeah. Because I don't feel I have anything holding me back now because I don't care. You, you know, you can't touch me now, you know. I have all the credentials. I have all the, you know, if you don't like me, so what? That's your problem. You know, whoever you are, Governor Cox on down, I don't care. Yes. <laughs> I don't care. I truly don't. I just want to stay focused on elevating uh, women. And now I've really expanded in the last couple of months to all of the issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and accessibility, um, which I've only, up until this point, Mike, literally up until January of my life, I really focused on women and women, particularly in tech. And now I'm realizing, wow, there's a whole lot more that can be done to bring these other groups uh, in into the mainstream. And uh, so what I would like my legacy to be is that that I was able to mentor uh, a large number of individuals to be at a better place in their life, not just their career, but in their life, um, to be able to take the lessons I've learned over my life. Uh, and I now I'm in a whole new area, uh, a new part of my life, because my husband died last year. Oh, now I'm going to cry. I remember. I am so sorry. That was, that was devastating. It is devastating, but it does, you know, prove you can go on and um, just take a different path. And that's what really brought me here to Utah full time. Um, oh, in addition to my daughter and her family, that does help too. Um, but that's what I, what I, an interesting thing. So my great grandmother, my grandmother, and my mother, and I were all widows in our sixties. So this is a whole interesting aspect of being a woman that I had not really even thought about. That you know, we really we lose our men young, and um, how do we prepare for our lives going forward? So that's also why I have nothing holding me back. I have. Um, I've raised the family. I've had a wonderful 40 year marriage. I, you know, I have everything that I've accomplished. So going forward in the next 10 years, just un untethered. That's what I would say. Yeah. Um, in this new path. That's such an amazing outlook to have. Um, because you've been through so many hurdles and that is another hurdle that you don't it's not a career hurdle. It's a life no, that affects no. everything. And so it's incredible that you've been able to kind of take that pain and take that grieving and just push forward and say, I had nothing hold me back now. Like, let's, let's do this. Let's leave a legacy. Let's mentor all these people so that this, all this valuable information that I've learned over the years doesn't go to waste too. Like you want other people to learn from the things that you went through so that they don't have to go through them again and they don't have to, you know, repeat your mistakes. They can learn from you and just cruise forward. And Yes. But the other goal I have, I guess I would say in the last 10 years, but next, certainly next five years, there's so much federal money out there. And I want to get as much of that money as I can to Utah yep. to help uh, the aerospace and defense industry, to help the manufacturing industry to help diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and accessibility. You really leverage 
all this federal funding and programs to the betterment of Utah. Yeah. Do you want to add on to your comment, though? So there is an unspoken like responsibility that women have, whether you're in tech, whether you're in your career, and you're right. So my husband's father had passed away when he was in college, and nobody prepares you for that. Just like when you're going to have kids and you think you're going to have this amazing career, nobody prepares you for the reality that sets in when you're pregnant and you're wondering, am I still going to have this job when I come back? Mm-hmm. Like there's these untold, un not understood by younger women what barriers could lie ahead of you. And to be honest, like the Rosie Project, a lot of the comments we were getting back is like, what happens if something happens to my husband? Like mm. I have their support system. And what skills do I have? And so we opened it up to not just current military spouses, but previous military spouses. I don't care what your how old you are. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what your knowledge uh, is coming into this. But I want to pass forward for anybody who finds themselves in a situation where like nobody told me to think about that. Nobody told me to to see what could happen good or bad. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that honest, blunt conversation because that's the reality of it. And nobody's preparing anybody, especially, I mean, after having kids, like, I literally thought like my career was done. Like after yeah. getting pregnant with my first kid, I didn't, uh, Max, I didn't tell anybody for six months. So I was just walking around, everybody just thought I got chunky. <laughs> and, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, this is it. This is what it is. But I wouldn't tell anybody because I thought somebody knew then I would automatically lose all these amazing opportunities that I had worked for. And the fact that that through my mind, I think that's why we do this podcast is to set the level of like, what is reality? What are things, hard things, good things, bad things? What are they? And I just appreciate you so much for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's hard to be a woman, um, period. But when you uh, look at the challenges of childcare, of um, all these exogenous influences that are pulling you in different directions as you're trying to stay on this path forward. And I'm so fortunate. I had the opportunity um, to mentor my daughter. So when she was between uh, junior and senior year in college, she was my summer intern. We had so much fun together. I had, okay, I had an incredible, I was working for a consulting firm at that time. And again, my background's aviation. And I, the consulting firm, I landed a great contract for the consulting firm with the government of Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. They wanted to buy an aerospace program and move it to Abu Dhabi to um, make jobs, good jobs for citizens, of which citizens in UAE is only like 10 to 12% of the population. Everyone else are guest workers. So I got this great project. And here is my daughter. She's had one year of financial accounting. And I um, put her in charge of taking the financials of those five companies and normalizing them. And we worked all summer and we had to go to the companies. And I remember we went to this one company in Munich, Germany, and she and I, of course, were the only women 
everywhere we went. But we went into the bathroom and she says, this is just like school. And I said, honey, you're studying business. This is business. And this is cool. School is like business because it is business. It was really, it was really funny. And then I was able to um, show her how to be a leader in a man's world. And at the end of that project, she had to present her financials to a room of like 30 all men, half of them in the full Arab robes and half of them Western. And she starts her presentation and they, they don't even move forward, you know, they're pulling back. And she says, gentlemen, could you please pull the presentation forward? And of course, they all lean forward. And it was an amazing experience. And she has always said that that one experience, she taught her, there's nothing she can't do. Nobody can rock her if she can stand up there and do that presentation at, what was she? She must have been 20 years old, 21 years old. Holy crap. Wow. You know? Me. That is amazing. So men often mentor their sons, uh, but I felt I was so fortunate to mentor my daughter. And of course, I've been her mentor throughout her career. She's, she's a rock star. I always like, look at the barriers in front of us, and I'm always thinking about Sophia, my daughter, who's two, and is a banshee, so I don't think she would have any issues doing whatever she wants, because she does whatever she wants now. But... <laughs> I have those barriers for her, I, and I feel this need to do that. I want it to be a smooth motion forward, and I was actually talking to a mentor just recently, um, a general I used to work with, and he was saying, how lucky are you to be the mother of Max? Because now when he walks into a room, he's going to look at every woman in a room and know they're equal because of his mom. And I was like, I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> I'm just like a banshee at like making sure that he knows, like, because yeah. little he was like, Mommy, can you get Daddy to change the light bulb? I'm like, the electrical engineer is here. <laughs> I can <laughs> change <laughs> Well, I, my son is uh, turning 40 this year. And um, he, he is so funny. There's, I, oh, you know when it was? It was when um, Hillary Clinton lost. And he came to me and said, you know, Mom, I never thought, that women were any lesser. I never, in, in his whole world, because um, my mother-in-law was a leader at a local university for student affairs, and my mother was a leader in real estate, and she was used to seeing professional women, and my whole, that's just the generation and what we were, there weren't any, um, she, he didn't know what discrimination was against women. He didn't understand that. Because that's not what his world was at all. So I felt like I did a good job. You know, I raised him good. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, you always have to have those allies in a room where they can point out those discrepancies that they don't enable that. Um, yeah, but okay. So Cheryl Sanders makes a good point with your partner. You have to make your partner your partner, which I did not do. They were my children, and I would let my husband. Um, do stuff with my, they were, <laughs> you know, and I love it because both my son, uh, his family and my daughter and her family, it's equal, the, the, it's equal parenting. And it is so refreshing to see. So we just came back, uh, the fine grandkids and their parents, 
I just took them all to Disney World for a week. It was crazy and wild. And but to see your your children parenting equally, it was it was wonderful. So that that I guess that's my legacy too is that my um, that my family that the the grandchildren and are have opportunities that that see equality that they just see equality. And but I really have an issue with reproductive rights. I have to say that now these children that I'm talking about, boys and girls, um, are have far less reproductive rights than I had. No, I know. I just don't. And it, some, that did come up um, in the conversation when we were talking with Governor Cox. Is like, what are you doing if you're if you're removing reproductive rights? And you're making it harder for individuals to make decisions about where their life is going to take them. Are you assuming the cost of that? No, of course not. That's the the, the real paradox of this position um, is not to provide the support system for these new babies. So it's just adding barriers to entry. Yeah, and we all know, like you're removing those. You're you're removing that, but you're also not like backing it up on the front end of like educating children properly and also like providing easy avenues to um contraceptives. And so, child like, care. Child care and child care. Acute short holocaust. But we're gonna take away any rights to enable contraception or anything like that. And it doesn't make sense to me. Like it's like so we don't have daycare, we can't get more daycare, and it's just this, just this vicious cycle of the state, knowing what's best for us. And, I, you know, I, I really feel it is also a workforce issue for Utah um, in attracting young women of childbearing age. Yep. Yeah. And I mean... I get it. We want people to have more kids because more kids means more population, more economy in the future. Like, I get that. But I feel like the way it's gone about has been like almost weaponizing it against you that you feel like if I make a mistake, I'm screwed. Like, I I, I, I don't even know what I would have done if I had gotten pregnant at a young age and faced that challenge that is honestly so scary to me and as a as a woman at this age i'll i'll make a little announcement because i think by the time i re-released this podcast um i would have told my work but i'm currently pregnant and congratulations yay (laughs) um still very new in my pregnancy very sick don't feel good at all but (laughs) i i can't imagine being in the situation where if something bad happens and I have to have an abortion, this is a this is a baby that I want. I want to be pregnant. I want to have this kid, but it's scary to me too that if I don't have access to an abortion in in terms of like something bad happens or something is wrong with the child that I, you know, that that's frightening to me. Yeah, I'm probably gonna carry like a non-viable pregnancy to the end due to the fact that there was legislation passed stating that you needed to do that. I just don't feel like that's necessarily up for other people's interpretation. I feel like that's a personal, very personal choice. 
And kudos to companies like Qualtrics and others that are willing to support their women workers and let them go to a state that does unionize. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So there were proposals in our state legislature this session that would have stopped even that. Um, but yes, that's that's a real issue for women and uh, and men because it's a whole family family yeah. decision that. Um, but on the other side, it is so wonderful to see in vitro and all of the technologies that have moved forward. My daughter's, both of her children were um, IVF. And thank goodness, I mean, she would not have been able to get pregnant if it hadn't been for IVF. It's an amazing miracle that of science that we need more women and technology to move forward and promote. Yes. I I agree. And I like, so recently in November, Anisa came to the hospital with me, but I had a miscarriage and it was devastating for me. But on the back end of it, I just remember I kept calling Anisa and I was like, I'm so mad because I feel like I, I, I just felt like if this is something that men were going through themselves, that there would be more information on it because I feel like whenever whenever that happened, whenever I had the miscarriage versus like whenever I get pregnant, there's so many like variables and up in the airs and I don't know. And I'm like, really? Like, is it is it genuinely because they're there? It's just unknown, or is it because like there hasn't been enough research into it? It's so common. That's the other thing. Miscarriages are so common. I've had so many. In trying to get pregnant with Max originally, and it was just like, oh, okay, and you just move on, and you didn't talk about it. And it, right. it me when you were going through it, it's just like, talk about it with me, do whatever you need to. I will tell you everything because it's just as like this hidden thing of shame. Like, ooh, did you work too hard? Oh, did you not take an app some medicine? And it's just like, yeah, you got that. But it's it's our whole society's approach to grief. Yep. So many people feel that I should be over my husband's death. It's, you know, it's six, seven, eight months. Are you over it yet? No, I'm never going to be over it. Is it like Yeah. So the, I agree with you. The the secrecy, the, um, we need to help women understand it happens. And yeah. feeling, everyone's feelings and pathways through it is different. And it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And I'm starting to be more and more vocal about it because, and I tell people, I'm like, I don't want your sympathy. I'm not sharing this because I want attention or I want you to say, I'm sorry. I just want you to know that this happens and it happens to people, happens all the time and it's okay. And it, and it hurts you, like feel free to like, come find me if you need support. I just want people to know that like, it happens and it's normal and it sucks, but right. For you <laughs> yeah it it hurts and it sucks that's that's what we've gotten to say about uh, losing my husband there's nothing you can say about other than it sucks because people say oh but now you're in utah and now you're yeah okay yeah all those things that's very true but it sucks yeah, yeah. i am happy i'm not saying i'm not happy i'm very happy but um it sucks so <laughs> it does well, we've certainly gone off the path, haven't we? Yeah, I know, right? that can get stuck up. But I'm going to get us back on the path 
by asking you, um, this is a question we like to ask all of our guests. What is, if you wanted to put a quote or a message out there to everyone who is listening to this, like the key takeaway, what would it be? It would be, um, don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Keep moving forward. Oh, I love it. I love that. That's an awesome one. And that's something I was just telling my coworker yesterday because she was saying, you know, if I don't do it perfect, I don't feel good. And I was like, yes, but there's, there's got to be times where you just let, let things fall and also delegate and let other things hand, other people handle things and they might not do it as perfectly as you would do it, but you can't handle all that. You can't put all of that on yourself because it's very, very hard to maintain that kind of mentality. Exactly. So you just can't let perfection get in the way of progress. No, no. Move forward. Just keep moving forward. And I could find joy. Joy is the most important thing in our lives. And joy to everyone is different. Some people, it's going down a ski slope on a powder day, which we've had so many of this year. Diamond yeah, It's an amazing year we're here in Utah. Exactly. I mean, to, to holding your new baby, it's all joy. Joy is. And, you know, to also um, achieve in your career is joy. So seeking joy. Very important. I think I've actually gotten away from the day-to-day and actually look for the joy in my day. So I resonate with that quite a bit. Like, am I happy that I'm doing this? Uh-huh. Does this make me happy? Can I remove barriers for others? That is something that is huge in making me happy to be able to do it all. As, again, Cheryl Sanders says, we can have it all, but we can't do it all. Yeah. So we need a support network. We need a partner. We just can't do it all. Like we try. Like no. I still try, you know, in, in my 20s and 30s when I was having babies. Yeah, I kind of said no. <laughs> I can't do this all on myself. I try to take on the world and Andy's like, I'm here to support you and I'll take the kids for the night. And I'm like, okay, I'll send pizza. Hey, pizza solves all problems. It's good. Well, we're coming up on time. Do you have any last things you want to say? Well, just again, thank you. I'm I'm honored that you chose me to be part of your podcast series. And uh, the work for Mother Hackers is so valuable on so many levels. And we just don't know who we'll touch and how we'll be able to help their lives be better. So thank you. No, thank you. you know, we, we we truly are very inspired by you. And I knew this was going to be a good podcast because I was like, Talinda is just a badass. And you're articulating your thoughts. Yes. Like, it just, you get your ideas across so well. And it was just across in the podcast. Really. Yeah. So thank you so much. 